no one was really willing to go too far in saying that one more than the other would be the would be the, the you know the golden bullet and solve all of the problems. Everyone thinks this is going to be very much an incremental improvement. Um, and a few of them also had um, you know sort of talking points about the the three E's of of safety. Um, and it's the engineering you know which you know the equipment is part of. Um, there's the enforcement um, and there's education. So you, you let the players know what the best form is. You know, the enforcement you know, would be the, the rule change like the helmet rule. Um, but certainly the equipment's going to come too. And not all of these. Um, are going to be implemented, you know, at once. Of course, um, some of the research and development is still going to take quite a quite a bit of time. Um, but uh, the, the helmet rule did seem to be a bit of a, a low hanging fruit. It's sort of an obvious starting point um, to to make a difference. Here. This is Joe Lemire, senior writer for Sport Techie, and you're listening to the Heads and Tail Podcast. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Som, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete's story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports health and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life, but you can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Today I'm excited to have Joe Lemire, who is a senior writer for Sport Techie, uh, on the podcast to talk about an article that he wrote for a four-part series on NFL safety technology. And in part one, uh, we're discussing the data behind the helmet rule, which is a huge you know, buzz phrase, I guess, around the NFL and uh, for people who follow football. So Joe, thanks for coming on. And I was wondering if you could kind of start off this interview by talking about who you spoke with to write this article uh sure um the um nfl made available um quite a number of the people heavily involved in this massive health and safety project i mean just to give a start with a little background the the nfl certainly uh had not been at the the forefront of player safety for a while but really got serious in 2016 committing 100 million dollars uh, of which 60 million uh, were for engineering efforts and, and 40 million for, for medical research um, and I'm focusing on that $60 million engineering roadmap, that, the, that is what they're calling it. Um, and, and so I spoke to the uh, the lead engineers um, overseeing that project. Um, they both happen to be University of Virginia uh, engineering professors um, who actually, they're so consumed by this project, they've taken a, a leave of absence for the time being. That's Jeff Crandall uh, and his right-hand man, the, the deputy director of their biomechanics lab down there is, is Richard Kent. Um, but also spoke with the NFLPA's um, top consultants on this project, uh, Christy Arbogast and, and Dr. Barry Myers. Um, I spoke with Jeff Miller, who's the Executive Vice President for Health and Safety at the NFL. Um, and I spoke with a, a number of, of the uh, executives or smaller tech companies that are have been applying for NFL grants to, to get involved um, in, in, uh, in, in helping crowdsource and some, some innovation. Um, and, and I had a chance to speak with a few um, you know, prominent uh, NFL analysts and, and recent players to, to get their take on this um, as well. So you really got opinions from really all perspectives uh, on this on this article. That's really really cool opportunity. Let's go into you know what the actual helmet rule is before we uh, dive a little deeper into the numbers. Becomes a foul if a player lowers his head to initiate and make contact with his helmet against an opponent. Uh, and it's worded very simply. Um, a lot of the players have been upset because it seems to be very vague and open to interpretation. Um, recently, the, the NFL has clarified that unintentional contact, you know, or incidental contact would not be penalized, but it is a, a personal foul, a 15-yard penalty, automatic first down, 
even the possibility of ejection uh, for egregious examples. And it's really changing the way a lot of players have had to tackle. And, you know, I played high school football and at this point almost 20 years ago. Uh, and I always learned, you know, you keep your head up and, you know, you don't use it to, to, to tackle. I mean, this seemed like the, the very fundamental, but in reality, that's not what a lot of players do. Um, a lot of them really do lower their head to initiate contact. And the NFL saw how many concussions were were, were happening on the field. Um, and, uh, you know, speaking to the... <clears throat> I don't, I don't want to get too, too far ahead right now of, of your question, but um, it, it's caught. There are 51 of these helmet rule penalties in the first two weeks of the preseason, um, drawing a, a lot of angry comments from some players. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I do think it's well intentioned for safety. Yeah, I, I agree that it does seem like the NFL is well intentioned. I know you had a lot of data to kind of back up the reason why, you know, and I think earlier we talked about how. As you said in 2016, the NFL, you know, dedicated $100 million towards safety initiatives, $60 million of that uh, going towards research, which is what we're talking about today. But I guess, like, why, why the helmet rule? And, like, why did they think that this is going to really have an impact on changing the health and safety uh, of this game? For years and years, we'd, well, everyone would watch football and realize how many people were, were getting injured how violent the game was, but no one truly understood the, the mechanisms of exactly what the forces involved were. And, and so what the Jeff Crandall and his team, his engineering team have done is they've done extensive video reviews of every single diagnosed concussion, uh, logging 150 data points of, you know, where exactly, how exactly contact was made, where on the field, what position, what part of the helmet was involved. Um, and then they also... Um, you know, have called on a lot of medical experts and, and their own, bio, you know, drawn on their own biomechanical expertise. Um, you know, everyone involved in this project has extensive work uh, in automotive safety, which is a, a far more mature industry and, and obviously um, many multiples and, and exponentially larger um, than sports safety could ever be. And so they're trying to draw a lot of the principles they've learned from that industry and, and apply it to football. And well, while doing so, while doing this data analysis, they also um, brought a lot of crash test dummies and a lot of advanced safety equipment to uh, Lucas Oil Field in Indianapolis a few years ago and recreated a number of these um, uh, concussion-causing hits on the field. Um, they realized that just seeing it happen, you know, they still wouldn't necessarily have the, the force data. You know, they don't, no player currently wears a force sensor on the field. They don't have the the use of that wearable technology right now. Um, and so they just ingested this gigantic amount of data and they found um, very troubling is that in the last few years, the percentage of concussions um, occurring from a helmet to helmet collision have been uh, statistically significant in, you know, increasing by a statistically significant margin. You know, a few years ago, only about a quarter of concussions were helmet-to-helmet -helmet blows. Then it went up to about a third. Um, and then last year in 2017, that was up to 46%. Um, and that's just a, the percentage of it. But the raw gross number of concussions also went to a record high of 291 last year. And while education has led to more players being aware of it, and I think almost half of those concussions uh, uh, included some component of a, a player reporting symptoms uh, and coming forward, which is a positive sign. So... It's not to say that they know for sure that there were more concussions last year, um, but there certainly were more diagnosed or reported concussions. 
Uh, and that's a pretty troubling number uh, when you think about how many players are involved. I think it was, you know, uh, 7% of the league, um, you know, suffered a concussion at some point last year. Um, and given the, what we know about the research of repetitive concussions and repetitive blows to the head and degenerative uh, brain disease later on in life with, with CTE, um, the, the, the NFL knew they needed to take action. And uh, you had mentioned some of the biomechanics that were kind of tested uh, in, you know, in this research. And I know a lot of players, they often complain about like it, it's the speed of the game. You know, the speed of the game, you can't make those you know, split second changes in your position to avoid these kinds of hits. What do you think, you know, based off of who, who you've spoken to, like, is this a valid, you know, reason or is it is the helmet rule, you know, uh, a doable thing? I didn't get as deep into the weeds with the players and technique, um, but it, it does seem to be doable from from what I was able to gather. I know you, these players are making numerous decisions in split seconds, um, you know, and while difficult to, to learn to change position, you know, they they do a lot in in the moment. Um, you know, sort of by training and by instinct, you know, the way that a wide receiver jumping up for a catch knows to position his arms, body, hands in just the right way, you know, and, uh, you know, because it's not just that they're trying to use their hands to catch the ball. They're also often trying to use their their, their back to shield the defender away. Um, there are so many decisions being made in split seconds. So the idea that it would be impossible to change their form for tackling seems, um you know, it seems like something that could be retrained, um, you know, and with a lot of education, um, it, it does seem like it could be doable. And, and certainly it's something that's worth pursuing. And even if it's going to be a, a difficult task, um, you know, for the overall health and safety of the sport and for each of the players, um, you know, this is something that's that's really important. And do you think that we would be talking about the helmet rule had Ryan Shazier not had his uh, spinal cord injury last season? Hard to say. I think we would just because of the the, the overall numbers um, involved show that you know his uh, you know because that I think uh, you know wasn't a concussion. It was you know a spinal cord injury, so it wouldn't have shown up in that two hundred ninety one number anyway. Um, but the research has shown that you know if a player lowers his helmet, uh, you know lowers his head to initiate contact, uh, you know both players are at a greater risk for injury. And in fact, uh, what was interesting. Uh, you know, they, they do extraordinary amounts of breakdowns of how these concussions are, are uh, uh, you know, are, are taking place. Um, they Players who are tackling actually end up being concussed a little bit higher percentage than those being tackled. Um, and some of it is, you know, when you lower your head, it's something to do with the way the, uh, you know, I'm not the biomechanist or, or doctor, but something to do with the way that your your neck and spine are, are lined up makes you more susceptible, um, you know, to, to injury that way as well. Um, but there, they've found there have been some truly interesting um, um, nuggets in this data that they found. And one of the, the big pushes that they're going to be making in the next couple of years um, is a move toward uh, away from universal helmets and toward position specific helmets. You know, as it is, uh, an offensive lineman and a wide receiver are wearing very different shoulder pads. You know, it seems like there, there's a lot of personalization in the equipment already. It seems like the helmet is sort of an obvious place that should have happened already. And the the number that kind of stuck out at me is that um, so quarterbacks actually are one of the, the least concussed positions on the on the field, but when they 
do suffer a concussion, 40% of them, um, it's contact from the helmet to the back, you know, the back of the helmet to the field of play. And that sort of intuitively makes sense because quarterback standing there in the pocket trying to make a throw, holding onto the ball to the last second and then gets hit by a rushing lineman, whether it's a sack or even after the ball's been thrown. And then, you know, it gets sort of snapped back into the field of play. And so the obvious question becomes, you know, what can we do to, to remedy this? And there might, whether it's a different type of material, just additional padding, um, they're exploring all options to, to reinforce in some way the back of that helmet to prevent quarterbacks from, from suffering that type of blow. And there are similar examples from all around the field, uh, and that's something that they're, they're hopeful might have an impact in the next few years. Yeah, that, that was actually one of my questions is, uh, you know, with companies like Vices uh, coming out there, you know, they're the, the leader in, I guess, um, force reduction when it comes to helmets with all the, the lab testing. Is this helmet rule just like a more low-hanging fruit for the NFL to try to make an impact on safety more immediately than, yeah, obviously like waiting for uh, new innovations in technology? That was one of the questions I, I asked to pretty much everybody involved is, you know, what is going to make the greatest difference in reduction of concussions and the greatest impact on safety? You know, is it going to be, you know, in you know, the inner materials of the helmet, you know, the, the standard has been foam for the, the longest time, but they're experimenting with some, some pretty unique materials to um, replace that foam. Um, is it going to be the outer shell of the helmet or is it going to be something like a rule change or behavior? Um, and, you know, no one was really willing to um, go too far in saying that one more than the other would be the, um, you know, would be the, the, you know, the golden bullet and solve all of the problems. Everyone thinks this is going to be very much an incremental um, improvement. Um, and a few of them also had, um, you know, sort of talking points about the the three E's of, of safety. Um, and it's the engineering, you know, which, you know, the equipment is, is part of. Um, there's the enforcement um, and there's education. So you, you let the players know what the best form is. You know, the enforcement you know, would be the, the rule change, like the helmet rule. Um, but certainly the equipment's going to come too. And not all of these um, are going to be implemented, you know, at once, of course. Um, some of the research and development is still going to take quite a quite a bit of time. Um, but uh, the, the helmet rule did seem to be a bit of a, a low-hanging fruit. It's sort of an obvious starting point um, to, to make a difference here. You know, something just seems different with the NFL this year, and I mean that in a good way. Like, I, I feel like they've really taken ownership over the problem. Um, and I was curious if you kind of felt the same way. Like, I guess, like, from 2016 when they had that $60 million research grant to now, I feel like it's completely different than even just a year ago. Like, did, do you feel that this is the same? And what, what did you kind of – what was your, I guess, you know, gut reaction after talking to a lot of these NFL uh, representatives? Yeah, exactly that as well. It, it the, they've taken ownership of a, how serious this is, and I think what one of the the key points that stood out to me is how much those on the the players' association side, that the consultants involved, how much they often went out of their way to say the league was doing a great job of collaborating uh, and communicating this information not only with the the NFLPA but um, but but publicly. Um, you know, when when they made when the NFL you know, pledged this this large investment in 2016. You know, Roger Goodell, the the commissioner's letter to everybody, um, even acknowledged that there would be skepticism about how they were pursuing this because there certainly have been some bad headlines uh, from 
some from past work with research studies. Um, but the pledge was to let science lead the way. And, you know, as far as I can tell from, from my reporting on this, it, they, they've really done a good job of doing that. Um, and they also realize there's, they're not going to have all the answers themselves. And so one of the unique components of this that will show up later in, in my series of stories is how much they're really trying to crowdsource innovation. You know, the, so the engineers at, at UVA um, have built these, you know, um, finite element models, these extraordinarily complex digital models, recreating some helmets to, to serve as a guidepost for innovation. So now if anyone wants to, you know, if they think they can come up with a new chin strap or face mask that would help in some way, you know, they can, you know, digitally recreate it and, and do a lot of testing before they even have to worry too much about, you know, getting the funding to build prototypes and get the materials they need. Um, Dr. Barry Myers um, at Duke uh, has uh, a wealth of experience, both as an entrepreneur himself, but as someone working in automotive safety, um, you know, and also overseeing a lot of innovation. Um, he's the the point man um, overseeing the what they call the Head Health Tech Challenge. Um, they do this a couple times a year where they draw um, submissions and, um, you know, from anyone who wants to apply can, you know, can submit ideas um, and the NFL picks the best ones to give grant money to. And it's not what they're trying to do there is, you know, there's a good example of this. Impressio is a, a company based in, in Colorado right now where there's um, uh, Chris Yakaki is a, a professor in Colorado who uh, works with some some pretty unique materials. He's done a lot of research with uh, these liquid crystal, um, uh, uh, you know, honestly, some of the words are, are even beyond me. I mean, um, but he's working with this innovative material that, he had an idea it might work in a helmet, but he's a professor. He's not a businessman going out for fundraising. He didn't have all the resources for helmet testing, but he had a really interesting idea and a really interesting material. And after a couple submissions and working with Dr. Myers, who has served as a mentor for a lot of those submitting um, you know, to this contest, uh, came up with a, a good workable proposal, received some funding, and, and right now is testing his material in helmets. Um, and the hope is that this could, you know, lead to real innovation. The the NFL and the NFLPA want to surround people with good ideas, you know, with the infrastructure they need of experts, um, money, and testing materials in order to see these ideas to fruition rather than having them stall out uh, before they're ever given a, a real chance. And, and, um, and there's a predecessor competition that General Electric and Under Armour um, helped sponsor, uh, and that's what um, Revisis made its name um, you know, they received some funding early on through that. Um, they're the real first success story of these types of contests um, as, you know, their product is already being used on, on the field of play. Really cool. It's definitely something to look forward to uh, when that one gets published. So can you just finish off by uh, letting us know what else we can look forward to in this uh, series of articles on uh, NFL safety technology? Yeah. So, you know, on the, on the second part that will be published imminently is a, uh, Kind of a, a broader look in a little bit more detail of how uh, how the the engineering team is is doing this work. Uh, you know, part three will focus entirely on all, all the the crowdsourced innovation, uh, all the different uh, you know public submissions and, and ideas that are, are floating out around there. Um, and on the fourth part, um, the NFL has developed this new data collection advice. You know, I mentioned there weren't any sensors detecting force on the field of play, uh, but there's a they're starting a pilot uh, trial right now that 
um, they hope might be able to see an NFL field for next year to start collecting more um, more helpful data. Um, you know, and so using kind of that as a springboard into talking about the future of uh, of where this project is going. Well, great, Joe, and I look forward to talking more in depth on on those different topics that you just mentioned. Um, and I appreciate you taking the time to share your knowledge and you know your interviews with with my audience. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Of course. For show notes on this episode, more information on the helmet rule, and other technology innovations that are making sports safer, click on the link in the show notes to access Joe's article titled NFL Safety Tech Part 1, The Data Behind the Helmet Rule on SportTechie.com.